king of the swingers, oh, the jungle VIP. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of argumentation. It is an area which we call Mouse Madness. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Kyle, I didn't even have to alter the Twilight Zone intro for that no. Mouse Madness intro because, I mean, we basically exist in the Twilight Zone all the time. Yeah, seriously. No. Everything makes sense and doesn't make sense at the same time. That's our podcast. And we love it. And last episode, we got through the first round of the round of 16, really breaking down these great Twilight Zone episodes. And I mean, only a few had to be broken with ties. uh, And so we're hoping for a few more out of Matt. Matt, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to dig a little deeper into the zone yeah, that's definitely what we're going to be doing because we got rid of the the top foam and we're really diving into the essence here. I think that there are some episodes that are going to be stacked against each other that either deal with similar themes or deal with their themes in the same kind of way. And it's going to be tough for us. So I think you're going to have to come and clutch this episode. I'm a clutch guy. Well, to help us dive deep into our deeper zones of madness and knowledge and imagination, we got some spoonfuls of sugar to help us get there. So, Kyle, what are you sipping on today? Yo, Don's Grog was the move. That was that got me in the mood to talk Twilight Zone. Uh, I didn't go back to it because it's kind of a, a heavy lift in the making, uh, as I said earlier there or last week there was a ton of different ingredients a lot of rum so this time i i went margarita guys i'm joining the bower socks in the agave household and i uh i went margarita this one is a premix that i found at world market the other day uh it it had a bunch of sugar skulls on it and i was like oh we're getting spooky so i put it in the same uh zombie head mug that i had last week We're going to keep that theme going. I got a great mug that I'm going to unveil with our next bracket, but we're going to stay zombie with this one. And uh, I'm I'm having classic margarita. Chris, what is in your cup? Well, I was inspired by both of you last week. I was pretty jealous of Matthew's fresh cider. So I... uh, I had to go get some of my own from Fairway Market down the street. And I was a little bit jealous of Kyle's return to rum. So I decided to return to rum as well. And and while Matthew was talking about his cider, I, I kind of like had a light bulb moment in my head. I decided to take out my old Santa Teresa rum that is Ooh. like a, a cinnamon smoky aged dark rum and combine it with like a cinnamony smoky apple cider and i was like would this taste like alcohol at all even if i put like three ounces of alcohol in here the answer is no it does not taste like alcohol (laughs) at all this is a fun fun drink and i fully expect to be in the deepest darkest corner of the twilight zone by the time i am done with this large mason jar of uh 
drank. I don't know what to call it. Uh, the dark cider. Why not? Matthew, what do you got today? Well, I'm moving on from the tequila this week. Um, traditionally I am a whiskey drinker. Um, I used to mix it with stuff, but now I'm just kind of drinking it like straight. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, it's the only way to get the job done. Um, but I, I discovered a new, a new, uh, a new brand, which, I'm, um, it's actually, it's actually Bob Dylan's brand of whiskey. Uh, it's called Heaven's Door. Yeah, he he developed nice. his own distillery down in, uh, I believe it's in Tennessee, and mm-hmm. um, it's called Heaven's Door, uh, a, a uh, reference to his song uh, "Knocking on Heaven's Door." But I'm I'm rebranding it this week, and it's going to be uh, "Door to Another Dimension." Ah, whiskey. There you there go. You go. And a uh, shout out to another Bob, another great <laughs> Bob out there, Mr. Dylan. Disney Bobs. All right. Well, we're talking best Twilight Zone episodes this week. Just a reminder, the demographic that we surveyed for the seedings of this bracket was people watching the flag retreat ceremony on Main Street at the Magic Kingdom. A lot of folks from the elderly community, from the veterans community, providing insight on this. Uh, last episode, we... Knocked off a lot of lower seeds. This was, we noticed it was a very top-heavy bracket, and that ended up being the case. We had the the favorite advanced in every matchup except the last one. We did. It's one, two, three, four. In fact, uh, will one, two, three, four make it to the final four? Uh, it's who knows. I, I it's going to be tough. But let's go ahead and start talking about it. We have the first elite eight matchup. It's number one to serve man. Versus number eight, Nick of Time. This is a great matchup. I'm really excited to see like what your two thoughts are on uh, this this episode matchup because it's one that deals with this kind of like societal distrust in government, the societal belief in about like aliens and like what aliens would come to do. You know, we all buy in that aliens in theory would be bad. And here, like, we see that the aliens might be good. They give us crops and and nutrients for the soil to end world hunger, right? That's been an issue for as long as humans have been on this planet and that money has existed that we suddenly can't feed everybody because capitalism. But, like, so these aliens are coming to fix it. We're going to change the soil and we're going to make sure that everyone's fed. Yes, perfect. These are species of the people, right? And there's this, you know, underlying agenda that we find out they're just trying to fattening people up in order to eat them. And their manifesto of serving man is to serve man as a dish. It's not to serve man as a, a helpful entity. It's to serve them literally up on a platter. And I think, you know, that's the that's the great creative wit of the twilight zone in its title right the double meaning there to serve man as a servant or to serve man as man being the thing being served uh i really like that nick of time i really raved about last time it's an episode that deals with a problem within humanity that is addiction that can be taken in many forms we see it at its most vulnerable where somebody is very desperate Uh, They are on the verge of getting a new job. 
they feel a little helpless because their car is not there. So they feel like they can't leave, uh, especially with that like three hour window that the mechanic gave them. They're hoping to get out a little bit earlier and they just can't stop hitting the napkin holder. You brought up a great point that this like cursed object isn't a, a cursed object in that it takes the form of a talking dummy per se. It's this force that this main character is continually attracted to. It's the same thing with a ton of addictions, right? If you're addicted to alcohol, the alcohol isn't calling to you. You are just addicted to the alcohol. If it's gambling, the gambling isn't calling your name to get out to it. You're just going to gamble. Really shows just how fragile our human psyche is. And I think that can be translated in a ton of different ways. So when I match these two up, it's kind of my personal thing. What do, what do I enjoy getting out of these two episodes? I love to serve man. I love that kind of, you know, plot twist at the end that people might not see coming. I love to see the tortured character in Nick of Time because it's kind of you're along for the ride of addiction. And if you've never experienced that before, this could be the moment for it. So when I lay those two side by side and what I really get out of it, for me, the stronger episode is Nick of Time. I'm going to take the throne away from the number one seed. I really like what it does and says about us as like kind of this, you know, group think how we don't get to make decisions, uh, but those that we've elected make the decisions uh, that it, not everything is is as what it seems has a lot of war uh themes with the decoding of messages and you know that function was going to be done away with until this moment apparently um, but nick of time is just that human element you know that is something that you could experience but also you feel like there's an, a twilight zone force hanging over it and i like that a lot nick of time is moving on for me yeah Kyle, you talk, you keep talking about this like government skepticism of government, like no trust in the government when it comes to, to serve man. And I don't know if I'm just like not looking close enough, but I just don't get that from this episode. Sure. And I didn't advance to serve man last episode in the first round for that reason. Hmm. Nick of time. Agree. The addiction aspects so powerful I don't know if either of you are comfortable sharing with the podcast listeners, but is there anything that you have been addicted to that might be silly to someone like from the outside? I mean, there are the big ones, like you said, gambling, alcohol, smoking, drugs. Uh, and, and this nick of time thing kind of seems like a sillier one. And yeah. I like one weird thing I was randomly addicted to for like a few weeks was buying these packs of Legos from target it was a disney figure they were yeah. like three bucks i must have spent like 50 to 60 bucks on like these little <laughs> tiny you didn't know what disney character was in the lego pack and like it every time i went to target i just like threw one in the bag i'm like mm, i see who's in here this time and like yeah, yeah. i got like two edna <laughs> modes i got yeah. two jafars i'm like it was super frustrating uh because you know i wanted to get like you know the Elsas and, and your Jack Skellingtons and, and like, you know, you want to collect yeah. them all. Yeah. I think for me, it's, you know, currently it's probably just anything Disney that I like. You come to my house and it's like, there's a lot of like Disney references in this apartment. And it's like, yeah, I don't like the kind of outwardly. This is obviously Disney, but I collect a lot of 
random Disney things. But I think the worst in like the history of Kyle's existence is like press pennies. <laughs> press penny like, addiction. All right. Like just wanting wanting to take home a press penny from wherever I went. And then that press penny just exists in a booklet that you never open up ever again, you know? And even when I was like fully moving out of my childhood home, the press pennies were still there. <laughs> like, and I was just like, I don't need these. So uh, yeah, that's a, a bit of a weird one. Uh, Matt, any weird addictions over on your side? Um, I mean, I don't know about weird, weird ones. I mean, I went through a phase in um, med school when I was, I was playing a lot of guitar and I was, I wanted to go to this guitar store in Chicago like every weekend and look at the uh, pedals they have there. And, uh, yeah, man, I spent a lot of money that couple of years. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think like currently for me, like my cell phone is probably a really bad source of addiction. Like, you know, I'm, constantly checking like google news you know every time i touch oh, it yeah. it's like i gotta yeah, like, i gotta yeah, look at yeah. the news i gotta look at the news totally. I gotta know what's going on you know like it's it's you know it's part of me for sure and that's why why i don't have an apple watch at this point because yeah. i know that th- at that point it's going to be the watch so totally i don't know another one i just kind of remembered is uh i have a weird affinity to buying different reusable shopping bags because hmm. there's so many cool ones out there and I justify it as being like dude I'm being environmentally conscious buying all these reusable bags man <laughs> yeah I have fair. like a weird collection like my closet's overflowing with these different like dope reusable shopping bags that like I'm never gonna get rid of because then it's like I'm just like a waster out there um, <laughs> anyways my point being, this Nick of Time episode, absolutely, like, a, it's not a metaphor for a, any other type of addiction. Like, this is a le- legitimate addiction. Like, this this Nick, this little mystic seer, this is totally believable for me that this guy could get into it uh, at any moment. The one thing that's weird about it is the superstition aspect. Like, they keep like mentioning that like, oh, he's addicted to being superstitious or something like that. Like I don't I don't really understand that aspect. And like he carries the lucky rabbit foot. Maybe that's just something that's been lost culturally since the fifties and sixties and stuff that like people aren't really superstitious like like that. Right. Um so I guess that part doesn't really work for me or it's not very relatable, but all in all I think you've got a, a great cursed object. You've got a great personal drama, both as a couple and as an individual. Uh, and I also am advancing Nick of Time to the final four. So Matt, not a great reaction just now, but uh, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think of yeah, the serve one, man going down? <laughs> man, that one that one hurts a little bit. Um. I don't know. I mean, you know what you're saying about the cursed object? I mean, it's definitely one of the most iconic cursed <laughs> objects uh, that is present, I think, in the Twilight Zone universe. I mean, they had the frickin' napkin holder in the screening room in the Tower of Terror ride. Yeah. Um, yes. I mean, it's, 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 it's very well known. Um, 
I think the superstition thing is, you know, he says, he says a line like, it's not like you married an alcoholic. You married someone who's superstitious, who has a lucky rabbit's foot and, yes, you know, et cetera. So, so with, yeah, it's almost like, it's almost like a little, yeah, a little like, I don't know, variable reward you know, addiction thing going on there with the, with the fortune teller, you know, napkin holder. Um, so I think that's, that's where that's rooted. But honestly, this episode, it, to me, it almost has the opposite problem with pacing. I think it's paced too quickly. I think that Mm. it escalates really, really fast. Like they, they show up and they're, they're, they're kind of like, you know, they're on their honeymoon or they're on their way to New York or something like that for for their honeymoon. And they're like in love and they sit down with the thing and they have like a couple laughs and they put, a, you know, a couple pennies in the thing. But then it's like she gets real freaked out, like real fast. And I'm yeah. like, you know, I mean, maybe if you live with someone who's got, you know, a dependency issue, maybe she's seen warning signs of that before. So maybe that maybe she was she's like on it. Um, but I think, I think it escalates just a little too quick for me. And to serve man is kind of that slow burn with the payoff at the end, which I just, that's Twilight Zone to me. Sure. But I gotta say, uh, this performance, uh, uh, from Shatner is awesome. Yes, it is. Well, let's talk about another one of those in our next Elite Eight matchup. It's the number four seed, Nightmare at 20,000 feet versus number five, Eye of the Beholder. I could see someone making the argument both ways on on Shatner in both of these episodes, being like, he's really good. That's my opinion. Like, I think he's great in both of these, but I could see someone thinking that it's a little bit silly and a little bit over the top. Yes. In Nick of Time, I know we're not talking about these two head-to-head yet <laughs> or right now, but uh, <laughs> Nick of Time, it, it, like, like you said, Matthew, it's very, it happens very fast, and, and Shatner acts like it. Like he, he's a little bit intense about it, and you do get the sense that this is something that uh, he, it has been tapped into. Like the, the, the mystic yeah. seer is just triggering him. And he's falling back into his his tendencies. Yeah. Whereas Nightmare at 20,000 feet, it's a lot more like you can tell that the struggle is happening internally a lot more. Just like the way he reacts to the way people talk to him. Mm -hmm. The way he looks at the monster out the window. You can tell he's really having trouble speaking and getting his words out he's he's very self-conscious about just being discharged from uh, an institution he doesn't know whether to say something whether to not say something i know this really doesn't have anything to do with the acting performance but like by the end of the episode he's sweating bullets and i I assume they like sprayed him with a bottle or something but if that's real sweat i mean props to him but he just he looks like he's in bad shape by the end of the episode and and that adds to the horror of the situation it's like this 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 man is not well and he, he truly believes what's happening or else he would not look like this and uh i'll shout out the twilight zone movie uh where john lithgow plays this character and he looks even worse i mean he looks terrible yes <laughs> like, he so does the monster terrible. 
yeah, the monster's super scary. Super, super scary. Um, <laughs> yeah, this this version of the episode is much more subtle, much funnier to like a modern day audience. Uh, but I digress. I think the acting performance for, from Shatner is great in this episode. I think the acting performance from his wife is also really great. Uh, I think yeah. she was cast just based on like her facial expression because she has that blank stare down. And she has the scream down as well uh, when when he opens up the emergency exit and she runs down the aisle and is just screaming at him. Uh, you truly can see the look of horror in her face, seeing this man that she loves who, I mean, she must be in such a difficult situation being like, do I like help him by telling him he's being silly? Do I help him to like not feel like he's crazy right now. I mean, she's in such a difficult position as well because she's trying to keep him healthy, but at the same time, like, you know, keep him straight. Yeah. So I don't, it's tragic on a couple ends here. I think it's interesting that because he had a mental breakdown on an airplane before. Yes. So yes. Why would you get a, Put him on an airplane when yeah, you're going to pick him up exactly. from the institution. They psych the psychiatrist should have been all over that. <laughs> that all over fired, that. He should have said, fired. "How about take the train? You know, pass yeah. by Willowby on the way home. I don't know." <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I I considered that as well. The little like direct address soliloquy at the end, also something we didn't talk about last week. Super good. No. Um, and it, it almost works in the un- in the Twilight Zone universe too, because like you could totally see a character being like, "Who are you talking to, Bob?" Mm-hmm. I yeah, just, I just I, and love I don't, that moment. And I don't know that there's another episode where it the third wall gets broken like that either. Right? I, I can't briefly, really think of one. They briefly do it into Serve Man. Chambers kind of has like a, a maybe one or two lines. At well, the he's very end he's narrating. He's narrating yeah. it from the beginning, like he's on the ship. Right. Yeah, and then he he turns to the camera and he says something, and then the, the closing narration from Rod is like, some final words in a soliloquy from Mr. Chambers or something like that. <laughs> uh, and then there's like kind of an ambiguous moment in Stop at Willoughby when he's sitting in the living room. He kind of has one of those moments where it, it looks yeah. like he might be looking into the camera, but... Then he kind of like looks away. Maybe it was like an accident on the actor's part. I don't know, but uh, but definitely like this this moment in in Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet is like the most obvious and powerful mm-hmm. for sure. Totally, totally. It's an episode that factors in all of the things, all of the things. It's got the internal thing. It's got the the husband and wife drama. It's got the the monster aspect. I don't know that it has the society conversation. I mean, I guess you could make an argument that there's like maybe some uh, treatment of mental health with like drugs because they keep like giving him like the sleeping pills. Yeah. I don't know. Like, again, a problem that probably would have been avoided if they just didn't take an airplane. Oh man, the acting, like Matthew said last week, the acting in Eye of the Beholder is so good too. Um, and, and it's the slowest, the slowest of burns, but it doesn't feel like it. You know, we keep talking about pacing and like, I think this is the slowest of all pacing, but it doesn't feel that way. 
it moves along just nicely. And when they're unwrapping the bandages, I mean, that scene must take five minutes. Oh, can you see me now, Miss Tyler? Can you see it? No, right. no, I don't yeah. think I can see it. Can you see my hand waving? Mm, kind of. And then, and like, okay, we're on the last layer of bandages, Miss Tyler. Just remember that, like, blah, 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 blah. It's like, oh, my, just do it already, please. So, I mean, if you want to talk about suspense, uh, Eye of the Beholder does it better than any Twilight Zone episode. I think what this one comes down to for me is do I like a Twilight Zone episode that is a magnifying glass on a personal situation or do I like a Twilight Zone episode that has something larger to say about society? When it comes to most things, I would say the former. Examination of a character is more important because that's a vessel for larger themes. But when it comes to the Twilight Zone, I think its power is its societal commentary. And I think for that reason, I'm going to go with Eye of the Beholder because the societal commentary is much more powerful and obvious. It's a hard decision, but that's what I'm going with. It is a hard decision. And you, it felt like you swayed. Like the entire time I was like, oh man, he's bringing up a lot of good points for 20,000. Oh man, he's going to go for it. And then you just flipped the switch and said, Eye of the Beholder. Flip, flip. Flip, flip. All right. Um... Yeah, I mean, acting is incredible in both. You brought it up, and you brought it up last week, and I don't, I definitely did not give Eye of the Beholder enough credit for the the way that they did draw it out, and the way that uh, it was a slow burn, and the way that the actress who uh, voiced the the bandaged woman did. You know, like it was phenomenal, and the way that she portrayed her like hopefulness but also kind of you know subdued optimism she she obviously had been through what we think is a lot uh and and really this was a last ditch effort to be accepted and i think that everyone can feel a similar way in that they want to feel accepted maybe not to the lengths of going to uh, get plastic surgery, although there's a ton that do, and that's also fine. But like, it's relatable in the fact that like we dress differently to be accepted, or we talk differently to be accepted, and we're willing to step out of who we feel like we are in order to fit in with the 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 larger group that we want to be a part of. Um, and so to hear her pain behind like the bandages is powerful and you guys brought it up last week and i didn't give it enough credit at all the pure like chaotic feeling of twenty thousand though is like also extremely twilight zone to me where the audience knows or at least thinks they know that this phenomenon is happening but no one else in the scene does and and shatner's wife playing that person that's like trying to calm him down and like, I'll go talk to her. I'll go talk to the stewardess. I'll go talk, you know, and then goes and has like this, this guy like essentially is like, yo, he, he just got out being like uh, at a, at a hospital and we're just trying to get home. Uh, but also still goes up and like knocks on the door. 
there's all these things that like you feel like if you're in that situation you would also deal with that right like you don't want to play your partner and just like pretend and make them feel even more out of the norm but you also like how do you believe it after all that they've been through so there's this like relationship dynamic there's this twilight zone effect of like the audience can see everything that our main character sees uh, and we believe or try to choose to not believe or try to make our own decisions and so at the end when he's being taken out on the stretcher uh we're like it was just in his head. Like he just got out of this hospital. We should have seen that as a clue at the very beginning. It's, this is just what it is. And then it pans over to the wing and the panels actually ripped off. And you're like, oh, oh is it? Oh. So there was a gremlin. <laughs> there was a gremlin. That reveal and that journey that the audience went on with our main character is why I'm moving 20,000 on in this matchup, which is why I'm going to Matt for the tiebreaker. Oh, my God. This is... I mean, so... (laughs) This is so hard. I am the holder (laughs) is... God, I I think it's my... I think it's my favorite episode just from like a commentary standpoint, from a cinematography acting standpoint. I think it's the most well done episode in the catalog of the Twilight Zone. The thing about Nightmare at 20,000 feet, it, it, it's, it's absolutely iconic. I think probably, I think it's, it's, I think it's well known in pop culture. Um, but as far as Twilight Zone iconography goes and, and just themes, it has so much in it. Um, it's got airplanes. It's got like psychiatric kind of illness versus like, you know, the character know something and other people don't believe him or aren't in on the same thing that he's in. It actually has, it has a reference to, to war, which is the, the gremlin. The gremlin is a reference to, to like, you know, world war one or world war two when the the pilots would have issues with their, with their planes and they would blame it on gremlins. Um, It's got a twist at the end, uh, you know, with the flap, uh, being pulled up and you know it's got it's got the 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 fear of death in there too just obviously you know being being on an airplane that could potentially crash um so there's you know mortality element there um i mean so for me i think i think that that's just the more it's the more complete episode and and i do think that it's more iconic than eye of the beholder although it kills me because you know, like I say, I the Beholder is one of my favorites, if not my very favorite. So nightmare for me. Welcome uh-huh. to the madness. Welcome to the madness. Going against <laughs> what your favorite is. <laughs> for the goodness of the bracket. All right, we're going to go ahead and move on to the other side of the brackets. Number two, Monsters on Maple Street. Verse, will the real Martian please stand up? That's our number seven seed. Uh, like I said last week, uh, I was introduced to 
Monsters on Maple Street, uh, Monsters Do on Maple Street, at sixth grade, knowing that I've already seen this episode. My history with Twilight Zone is that my dad was always a huge fan of it. And so uh, the instant that DVRs were available, and before that, when you would just record episodes on VHS, uh, my dad was always into it. And so because of that, I would watch these marathons, whether it was on sci-fi or CBS would run a late night run of Twilight Zone. And this was one that really stuck out in my mind because it felt like a real TV show drama, you know, like you're watching something unfold that doesn't necessarily have a spaceship in it. And I think that with me, uh, you know, it, it's a host of a Disney podcast saying that I'm not a huge, like, fantastical consumer is weird, but <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> If it's an alien movie, I have to be fairly convinced to go see it. I'm not a huge Star Wars fan. If you listen to the Star Wars bracket, you learn that very quickly. It's a terrible um, episode. Don't listen. Kyle's takes <laughs> are garbage. Um, so to see this like real life, you know, something that you feel like you would see or connect to was brilliant. And then to have it reinforced by reading it as literature in middle school, followed up by us watching it on a small TV screen that was up in the corner of a classroom was awesome, you know? Like, it just kind of tied in your pop culture love with schooling, and you felt like this is a, a thing that we should be studying, you know? It's mob think. And how toxic mob think can be. Group think is the actual word for it, but like it turns into mob think. Um, where, you know, this the mentality of the masses can kind of dilute what's actually happening or interfere with. And you see that here. You brought it up last episode. Like people are blaming their wives for this power outage. They're blaming the neighborhood kid that everyone loves. There's obviously an outcast where everyone's kind of dressed up prim and proper for like a 50 suburbia, 60 suburbia, and you have a homeboy in like a Hawaiian shirt. So instantly, like he's kind of the outsider because he dresses different. Hit me. <laughs> and what it really kind of ties into for me current day is like there's a lot of conversation about. Uh, unfortunately, it shouldn't be a conversation, but there's a conversation about like the destruction of suburbia and others, quote unquote, others coming into suburbia, which is just people who also have the right to live in wherever they want to. And people feeling that way, where it's like, oh, we can't let outsiders into suburbia because things will be bad. And there's hints of that in this episode. Which is interesting because it's like I brought up last episode with like, you know, the, the communism could be anywhere. It feels like that, you know, and we're kind of repeating ourselves in current day, it feels like. So this one resonated super heavily with me, uh, not only because I really enjoy it, has this literature tied to me, but also I just love this episode. Uh, it's up against another one that we didn't get to really dive into, which is Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up? I brought in the uh, the plot a little bit uh, last episode, but essentially, you know, 
this crazy space phenomenon happens where it seems like something fell out of the sky. People got stranded at a diner because a bridge was damaged. And now we're trying to figure out who's the odd man out. Who's who doesn't belong in this diner uh, when a bus showed up with six and there's seven there. And you kind of felt like the couples were definitely not it. But like at the back of your mind, you're like, well, are they just saying that to say it? And that was the whole purpose of the episode, right? Is everyone's claiming no. There's an obvious like scapegoat who seems like this vagabond crazy dude who's just like wildly extroverted and just like blaming others or like adding these questions and he's like the is he trying dude. to he's the, he's the best. best dude he's well, the trying thing to also he, is like he's egging it on yes he is and that's like that what's makes this episode so entertaining because what it could have been is just like everyone defending themselves and arguing against have you ever watched uh 12 angry men 12 angry old men no angry it's old movie <laughs> angry old men or 12 angry men because those are different things grumpy old men no. 12, oh, ang- 12 angry oh, men God. or grumpy old grumpy, men. Those are two different Grumpier. Things. Yeah, gr- yeah, grumpy old men. <laughs> it's like grumpy old men, but one. not hilarious. <laughs> I don't think it's that one. It's the one about the jurors. That's 12 angry men. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Also, a, a, a story I read in sixth grade. So we're all going back to sixth grade in this matchup. 12 angry men. It's it's It feels like that where... It's the serious dilemma where everyone's arguing towards a point, trying to figure something out. But in the Twilight Zone episode, you have this character that's stirring the pot consistently who feels like the comedic relief, but also could be the target. Like we that that's the guy. He's the the, we have all the straight characters. The oddball is probably the one that's caused all of this. At the end of the day, it turns out that's not it. It's the one that was, you know, as uh, Matt brought up last episode, kind of quiet, sitting at the table, had a cigarette, was denying most everything, was trying to help in the investigation. At the end, he had multiple arms. Shout out to the actor that did have to blindly put the cigarette into the actual actor's <laughs> arm or mouth, just stuck up through his trench coat and found it somehow. Uh, and then... Even bigger plot twist was the waiter himself was also an alien. They were both aliens from different planets that were coming to, you know, invade Earth. And they talked about it. And the the waiter said, like, you're too late. We've already studied the species and we're about to take over. And it was such a great plot twist because it was this kind of human, like, we're always trying to blame someone that's different. Uh, just like on Maple Street, uh, but also it could be living among us. And it was, and it was always the least likely person. I don't know about you guys, but I definitely didn't think it was the diner guy, um, even re- in rewatching and, and re-remembering. So this one's super tough for me, Chris. And it's kind of a toss-up because I'm I'm kind of okay with either one moving on. But I think the destruction of suburbia is a theme that I really enjoy seeing. Uh, and I really enjoy dissecting in that this community of people that are supposed to be all the same encounter difference and it breaks them apart. And it kind of teaches the lesson of, you know, we we can't conform to that mindset. 
you know, if we do, we're going to drive all of us crazy. End of the day, it was aliens just messing with that certain street, but that was also to prove a point. So I'm moving Maple on, uh, unfortunately, past uh, the real Martian uh, in this matchup. Well, I want to do one little shout out to the crazy old guy because yeah. uh, there's a nice little baseball reference in the Will the Real yes. Martian Please Stand Up when they ask him who won the World Series and he says, the Pirates won it in seven and baseball fans ought to know that the 1960 World Series game seven had the greatest home run in MLB history, Bill Mazeroski, the only mm-hmm. walk-off home run in a winner-take-all yep. game. <laughs> like you would wow. think that he would be like you would think that he would be like uh yeah the pirates did it maz it was freaking insane i just right. i wonder if they just like had no idea how great that baseball yeah they didn't was understand the, the significance of that at that point they had yeah. no idea like we still we still talk about that home run every single october for the last 60 years um so i loved that i loved that little reference um, I think we got to talk about the similarities between these episodes because these are very similar. I mean, it's just like a, a little drama where people are trying to find out who's the outsider. Yeah. And really the only difference is that Nightmare, I was going to say Nightmare on Elm Street, the monsters are due <laughs> on Maple Street. Uh, they're like the society commentary that goes along with it. Whereas... Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up is just kind of like a little one-act play where it's a, a dramatic, but there are no larger conversational topics, I think, uh, that are obvious. They might grow from it. I think they kind of botched the ending of Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up because I wish there was some like sinister or like threatening aspect to like the colonization that was taking place with the Mars aliens and the Venus aliens. Like you got the, you got the sense that like maybe the earth was going to be the site of like a battle potentially in the future between aliens from these other planets. But like, I wish that maybe the Mars alien had like sabotaged the bridge and he was Mm. like, you know, we have to start the purge if we want to like colonize the planet or whatever. Um, you know, the idea that, like, the horror lives on once the episode is over is really, I think, paramount to, like, a great Twilight Zone episode, a great horror movie. And it kind of just, like, is a little bit close-ended, I think. Monsters are doing Maple Street, totally open-ended, right? Like, the, the aliens, it, it, the camera pulls out and reveals that the aliens were messing with the power and, and the appliances the whole time, and they were like, and we go on to the next street, and the next street, and the next street, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you get the sense that this is, this civil war is going to be taking place everywhere, forever. Uh, so I love that about it. Easy advance for me for uh, Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. Matt, anything to say about Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up? Yeah, you know, this is a great example of a lock-in episode. We're doing a bottle episode. Yeah, a bottle episode or a lock-in, whatever you want to call it, um, where it's it's very, you know, script and character-driven. Um, you know, akin to, uh, you know, Hitchcock, you know, like rope or a rear window 
you're kind of just, totally. you know, really like secluded in this one space and there's some present danger. Um, and you're, you know, you're trying to figure out, you know, uh, it, it, you know, who done it, um, type of, type of theme as well. Um, yeah. and so I, I really like it for that reason. Um, we can talk about monsters more in the next one, but I, I, I think I like the pacing a little bit more in, uh, Will the real Martian please stand up? All right. Well, let's move on to our final Elite Eight matchup. It's number three, Time Enough at Last, versus number 11, The Masks. So we've been talking a lot about kind of like the twists, the payoffs, and that being a great moment in a good Twilight Zone episode. And Time Enough at Last, it's the glasses breaking. And um, that's just such a heartbreaking moment. And kind of like a oh boy moment the thing though is that i feel like everything leading up to that is not super super enjoyable to watch and the masks is a really solid episode from start to finish and Mm. i want to talk about spoiler culture a little bit it had been my intention when we when we started this bracket People are very, very scared of spoilers these days. Like, they don't want to be spoiled on anything. They don't want to know what happens in the story. They don't want to know anything. Especially, like, um, you know, a finale or something like that. Don't tell me what happens. And it's unfortunate because a good piece of literature or a good movie or a good TV show the spoiler or like what happens in the end should not be the best thing about it. Like there should be joy in watching it play, watching the story play out, like listening to the dialogue, like watching the relationships develop so that if you did know what was happening in the end of the story, it's still worth your time to watch. I mean, it's why we love watching, um, Eye of the Beholder. Like, we know exactly what's going to happen in the end, but, like, it's so good just to, like, watch the dialogue and the acting and see that beautiful cinematography and stuff. Like, it doesn't matter that we're spoiled. Like, it's still so, so enjoyable. For me, time enough at last, the twist is great, but, like, everything leading up to it's just not, it just doesn't do a whole lot for me. There's so much, like, relationship building and character building in The Masks um, and there are some great commentaries on society and the human condition. And this episode being, um, you know, like, what would you look like if what was in your heart was on the outside? Would you be a beautiful person or would you be a, a deformed looking figure? Um, is beauty really skin deep? That kind of stuff. So uh, I really love that this episode expertly balances those uh, stories of personal drama with uh, greater commentaries on society. So for that reason, I am advancing the masks. No one spoil a damn thing for me. <laughs> Stay away with the spoilers. Spoil me, baby. I don't care. D- I I don't want the spoilers. I I like that gratification of either figuring it out on my own or, you know, the excitement of, it not panning out how I thought it was. Um, a great example of that is the movie Knives Out. I I did not know what was happening at all, actually, and 
when it was revealed, I could piece back how it like that reveal happened. And then I go back and I watch and I realize how great the cinematography was, how great the acting was that all, you know, added to that moment of uh, exposure. So I think that in in my mind, uh, you know, I don't want to see spoilers, but I think that at the same time I can go back. And that's why I've watched The Twilight Zone so many times is I can go back and appreciate the cinematography and I can go back and appreciate the acting uh, even though if I know the spoilers have happened, but knowing how good that one like uh, moment was, the one twist was, and how I reacted is a big part of why I like the Twilight Zone at all and why I recommend it to people because I want them to feel that excitement as well. I have the Beholder is just that for me. Uh, you know, you it does feel drawn out. I will give you that slightly. Um and and it feels like we stay with Bemis too long in his like I don't know I guess like primitive form of like going through life just trying to read and Banker it's like boy. Okay, we, we we get it right um but at the same time I felt like it was kind of necessary that all aspects of his life were impacting his need to just stay home and read from work his relationship he just felt like he could not get away from the distractions of life to read now is that a a, a tribute uh attribute that i think we should aspire to absolutely not like that's I, but i think that's part of the message right and i brought that up last week that like the selfishness doesn't win all the time like you, as much as you take you need to give and he takes a lot <laughs> like oh, everything he takes actually so uh, you know, I've gone off about uh, the masks last time. Uh, I love that episode. I think that's like a sleeper Twilight Zone episode. We talk about how iconic a lot of these episodes in this bracket are. But that one is one that I think we need to start putting a little respect on. Only because it kind of makes you think both who you are as a person, don't be so self-centered and appreciate, you know, your family, appreciate those who are, you know, elderly. We've talked about like, you know, losing someone in past brackets, whether it was Pixar or song or whatever. And this one really ties it together. Only that grandpa is like, I know what, what I'm about and I'm about to <laughs> enact revenge on you. So it's a sleeper, but I think that for me, Chris, I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to move on time enough at last uh, because of that journey we go with Bemis and because we stay with him and we have to endure, you know, trying to choose sides the entire way. Are we on Bemis's side of like, let my man read? Or are we on the other side of like, give more to others? And then you really have to choose a side at the very end when he gets what he wants and then nothing at all. So I'm going the opposite. Matt, it is time for you to break a tie. Why, Helen? Why do you do these things? <laughs> <laughs> that was like too good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That's like my We just got a copyright claim freaking... from CBS just now. Uh oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was not an actual clip, CBS. 
Um, <laughs> oh man, you know, I love New Orleans. I have my bachelor party there. Chris was there. Let's go. I love, New Orleans. Uh, I love the themes of you know having it having this beyond like Mardi Gras. Things are always like a little magical, a little paranormal with Mardi Gras. Um, you know, he meant, he mentions, I, I don't fully understand the Cajun slash like voodoo hoodoo connection. I, I didn't think that Cajun people practice that. Um, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, and I think, I think that it does have a lot to say about, you know, kind of revealing your true self and that, you know, people can have, you know, an external appearance other than who they are as a person. Um, but time enough at last is incredibly original and truly scary. Um, I, they, and they talk about it in the Twilight Zone movie, Dan Aykroyd and <laughs> Albert Brooks in the car as like one of the scariest things they've ever seen in their lives. And I completely agree with that. Um, I, it's time enough at last for me. Woo! There it is, Chris. Woo! We got that upset. All right. That brings us to our final four. Uh, the first matchup here is number eight, Nick of Time versus number four, Nightmare at 20,000 feet. Uh, and we don't have a one, two, three matchup, Chris. Because the other matchup is uh, number two, Monsters Are Due versus number three, Time Enough at Last. So uh, an eight snuck in there because we un, uh, dethroned the number one. And, you know, the number eight comes in hot. And it's <laughs> it's still this, like, debate of, you know, they're, they're both dealing with, like, these human aspects of one's addiction and one's mental health, essentially, right? The, that's what we're dealing with and and maybe not in the 50s in the 60s that's how they portrayed the nightmare at 20k you know like it might not have been with a mental health lens it was more of like you know the the scariness of those who were affected by negative mental health symptoms and and diseases uh and that idea that like if you're in the the hospital for some sort of mental health uh, issue that you're in like the quote unquote loony bin right and like that is then you're you're not trusted you're not trusted after that and is that playing on that kind of distrust of those who do suffer from uh negative mental health uh diseases and symptoms and you know we still play on that extremely you think about like American Horror Story, which feels very Twilight Zone esque, just with a lot, a lot more gore, and they play off of that kind of same theme and storyline. So it's tough. And on the other side, we're dealing with addiction, and it's—is it? You brought up a great point: addiction to superstition. Like, how does superstition play into his addiction vices? And I think that it's still just being persuaded to live out your life due to these external forces that literally have no meaning whether it is superstition and i brought up 
maybe off episode, I don't remember at this point, but my own superstition within working in baseball and having to wear the same suit. And if the A's are scoring runs, I have to stay doing what I was doing while they're doing that, you know? And I'm not a superstitious person, but apparently I am. And so like, how does the external forces affect real life uh, is an interesting angle. So this one is, this is tough. I mean, the next one's gonna be even tougher, but this one is extremely tough because it deals with this individual aspect uh, head to head here. I think that I'm gonna go with, I'm gonna go with the one that feels the most absolute Twilight Zone here. The one that makes us all think, one, Twilight Zone, two, has a storyline that we're impressed with, three, the acting is impeccable. And that's Nightmare at 20K. And Nightmare at 20K has all of the pieces that says and screams Twilight Zone, while on the nick of time, it's also a very well-acted uh, episode, except what we brought up, the scene when uh, he wants to cross the road, so cautious until it comes to jumping in front of a garbage can, and then we're spend we're spending minutes catching our breaths with the characters when it was literally, you know, a jump across the street. I don't know. I guess if I have to like give a reason why it's it's falling down here to nightmare that's why but nightmare is moving on for me well i went up against nightmare at twenty thousand feet last round and i think i'm going against it again this round Uh, i think nick of time speaks on the human condition Uh, it speaks on some of the dangers that exist in society and I, i loved the cursed object angle i mean seeing that little mystic seer guy and, yeah. you know, you look at it through one lens and it's just a stupid little piece of plastic that's grinning at you so stupidly. And then you look at it through another <laughs> lens and it's like, this is a, a demon object. I just love that. I love that it's really ambiguous and you don't know what's real and what's not real. And you never really get that closure in the end either. So many of these, like the like in, in Nightmare 20,000 Feet, the camera pulls back and you get that concrete like yes what he was seeing was real and in this episode it's like everything's real if you think it is and none of it's real if you don't think it is love it love nick of time i'm advancing it to the finals which means matt has the tiebreaker well think about nick of time is i feel like the ending is not as satisfying to me as I want it to be with a cursed object episode. I want the object to win in the end. Um, mm. And I don't feel like the object wins here. I think that the, that the Shatner character walks away from it. And although we do see, you know, the other two, um, you know, the other couple walk in at the end kind of uh, as a victim to the object, I, I really want them to like get into a car accident or like somehow you know have some like death at the end. And it's just like really, really freaky because the, the object is so freaky looking that um, it's, it, it looks like <laughs> it looks like it wants to kill them. It looks like a menace. Yeah. And um, so I have, I, 
every time I watch the episode, I have a little bit of a problem with the fact that they can just walk away from it. Like it never happened. Um, and you know, I, as I mentioned in the last round, when it was up against the serve man, <laughs> I gave some reasons. I, I liked, um, to serve man over Nick of time. And, um, I do think Nick of time has a slight pacing issue and, I argued for Nightmare over Eye of the Beholder um, in the last round for that, so it's it's got to be Nightmare for me. William Shatner makes it to the Shatner finals versus by Shatner. default. Shatner, yeah. Shatner comes out <laughs> over Shatner as Nightmare at 20,000 feet advances to the finals. Who will it go up against? We've got the number two monsters are due on Maple Street versus number three, Time Enough at Last. I mean, oof. I've talked ad nauseum about Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. I think it's a great uh, representation of, like, some of the problem areas in society. I don't want to say, like, it's a great representation of society because this really is just one. This is, like, white suburban society. And, like, America is so much bigger than that. I mean, I live in New York City, and, like, I feel like we don't really care about this type of consumerism at this level. I mean, there is some, but it's manifested in, in slightly different ways, a little bit more socially conscious, the good ones at least. Um, but absolutely suburbia needs a heat check in this episode. And it gets that time enough at last. I mean, I, I keep going against it. There's just not a lot for me here. Like, there's no like really deep commentary on society to me. Like, yeah, there probably is about like the human condition. There's no like other. There's no uh, like monstrous other. There's no like a, you know outside force coming in that's kind of like uh, provoking a situation, testing something's values, uh, and and that's quintessential to me for good horror. So again, I'm gonna have to go with monsters are due on Maple Street. I think the twist ending thing just it's just not enough for me. Yeah, I think that you're right in that uh, analysis there because, you know, the as much as I've been praising kind of the human element of what we all deal with as an individual, the monsters at Maple Street, uh, monsters are due on Maple Street is a, a great example of what can happen when things get out of hand. Um, it's a great episode that, you know, showcases Twilight Zone's ability to bring in the supernatural or the phenomenal into real life, even though it's not necessarily a representation of what real life currently is. It certainly was uh, what suburban life looked like in the 50s and 60s. So anyone that, you know, was probably consuming Twilight Zone would definitely see themselves in that uh, environment. Time enough. I mean, I've kind of talked about how much I like it and and the battle of, you know, being selfish or selfless. Uh, but I think that as much as I don't feel like there is a pacing issue when you match it up against something like Monsters, uh, you just get drawn into what's happening in Monsters more than you get drawn into Bemis's reading addiction and his wanting to be alone and wanting to find... A quiet place to read. You just want to figure out what the hell is going on on Maple Street. 
the entire time, especially at the very beginning when homeboy leaves to go check out like what's happening on the other streets. Like maybe it like I'm, I'm gonna go down to the other block and see. And then we just like don't we don't see homeboy again until the very end. And he's walking through and maybe I'm just naive and I forgot that homeboy left. But once they like shoot him and they're like, oh, God, it's his name's not Jim, but it's Jim. And he just went to the other block to see if there's power. First of all, long, long blocks Took in a while. the suburban town. Yeah. Took him a long while to get from daytime to nighttime. And two, it just showed the extremes that this mob went to uh, to identify who was different. That's a battle that happens today. You know, it's who's the outlier? How can we cast them out? And it's uh, kind of a self-reflection of society itself. I agree with you. I'm moving Maple on. Matt, what do you think about that decision? I mean, yeah, I think I think there's probably more, you know, societal commentary in Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. Time Enough at Last, though, I think is just very creative. And the fact that he goes down to the bank vault and the bomb detonates there and he's like the only survivor i think it's just a great like plot element um and i you know that also you know the scene when he finds the gun and he's like he like puts it through his temple i'm like that that is like very uh jarring imagery i think especially for like the early 60s like i can't believe they would like put that on tv or even suggest you know, someone's going to like shoot themselves in the head. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, it's pretty jarring for me. All right. We've reached the finals, Chris. Uh, this is the number four nightmare at 20,000 feet verse the number two monsters are due on Maple street. This is, this is going to be tough. And because it's going to be so tough, I'm going to let you lead it off. Ah, <laughs> I didn't. The thing is, like, I didn't want this to be the finals because, like, these are two obvious choices. You know, like these are sure. these are very generic Twilight Zone episodes. Um, obviously, they're both great, like super enjoyable watches. I mean, if I was providing a list of like four episodes to someone who's never seen the Twilight Zone before, these two would probably be on there. I mean, like I said, as a student of film studies. And media studies, Monsters Are Due is required reading. I mean, this is this is genre defining stuff, um, and I think you could you could make the argument that Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet is just the same. Um, situations where there is order, and that order is threatened by some type of outside force, uh, and you watch the order break down. And it's horrifying to see. And it makes yep. the audience themselves afraid of such disorder entering their lives. I don't know. It's really hard because like when, when I was talking about um, Eye of the Beholder, I was saying how societal commentary is really important to me in a good Twilight Zone episode. And like it, Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, it's very overt societal commentary, but... Like, I need to have a little bit of personal drama in there as well. And, like, there's not enough, like, personal internal stuff going on. Like, it's just, 
I don't know. It seems a little bit too obvious, like a little bit too on the nose, I guess. The whole like paranoia aspect. And I almost would prefer like drawing my own societal commentary from a more intimate character study like Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. And, um, you know, this is on top of the fact that I think just instinctively Nightmare at 20,000 Feet is probably a more enjoyable episode to watch when you factor in everything, uh, the acting, the music, the camera work, the makeup, the sets, like everything. Um, it's just a better TV episode. We're talking about Twilight Zone. The winner of this bracket, I think, needs to be something that really defines the genre. And while The Monsters Are Doing Maple Street, I think, provides the more open-ended discussions, I think The Nightmare at 20,000 Feet episode has more elements of Twilight Zone inside of it. I think it's just kind of like a best of both worlds, best of everything, and... uh I think it's the most electable episode, so I'm I'm gonna go with Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet. I'm gonna give William Shatner's uh, great performance the win. I only wrote down one quote from all of these episodes, and there's a ton of memorable quotes uh, in this. I mean, Matt gave us a copyright infringement with just one of them, but uh, this one. <laughs> is one that really stuck with me and it was at the end of Monsters Do and it was in Rod's uh, outro. And he says, the, there are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices to be found only in the thoughts of man. And that's like an idea that rung true then in the middle of the civil rights movement into today. And just our prejudices and our thoughts, not only on people, but in ideas and theories. And, you know, it's something that just has carried the test of time. I think that Monsters Do is uh, an episode that's going to, you know, last forever. It's one that you brought up that you've studied in school. I've studied in school that is going to be not only a societal commentary, but a a work of art that we're always going to reflect back on as the basis of this is a good entertainment, it's good storytelling, it's great uh, message building. You know, we're always going to look back on it. In this matchup, I think we have to agree with you oh, that the most quintessential is nightmare 20k and that it while it might not be the like best tv episode i think it's the best twilight zone episode in this final two it deals with the phenomenon of maybe paranormal it deals with the internal battle of not knowing if others know what you know, the audience is along for that ride being like, we see you, William. We see you, Shatner. We see that gremlin on the wing. Matt brought up, it deals with this wartime kind of theme of gremlins interfering with flight, which is, as we brought up at the very top of this entire bracket, is a theme of Twilight Zone is war. 
and it deals with you know the societal issue of how we deal with mental health illness and dismissing them as quote-unquote crazy and even then and I think that was a move that was conscious I don't think that they were just trying to use this character as a scapegoat and we all just assume that you know schizophrenic uh tendencies is crazy it's shining a light that it's not it's not it's a mental illness that we need to take seriously uh so the societal commentary mixed with this paranormal phenomenon of this monster uh mixed with war mixed with flight things that will really affect the audience in a way that feels real i agree with you chris i think it is the best twilight zone episode which means we're gonna clap it out for it Matt, I think you had somewhat of a physical reaction when I said that I, I was going to jive over to uh, Nightmare. And I'm interested in hearing if you would have gone the Maple Street route. Actually, I had the Bewitching Pool as the winner. <laughs> no, the stop. No, 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 and the team. No, I thought, um, I mean, you had some great things to say about, about Monsters Are Doing Maple Street. And I, I definitely think that it is... Uh, extremely well-crafted, well-thought-out episode. It does have a lot to say, a lot of societal implications. Um, But Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, I think, is the quintessential Twilight Zone episode for all the reasons that we mentioned. And, you know, it didn't really even occur to me until just now, but I feel like at that time, you know, in the early 60s, I don't even know if like the majority of Americans had like been on an airplane before. So that's, that's kind of interesting to me. I don't know if, I don't know if when this thing aired, if people just either like didn't get it or (laughs) I don't know, maybe, maybe they really did. I mean, obviously it made some kind of impact because they, they rehashed it in, um, in a Twilight Zone movie, which is another interesting discussion. Do you think? And in the newest series. yeah, Yeah. Do you, which, of the three iterations do you think is the (laughs) best version? I don't know that, that John Lithgow, uh, that the monster in that is freaky. Uh, (laughs) but anyway, we'll have to save that for another time. All right, y'all. Well, we have crowned our best Twilight Zone episode winner, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Thank you so much, Matt, for joining us on Mouse Madness to help us along with this bracket. We really appreciate having you. I don't want to leave the zone. I want to stay right here. (laughs) Amen. All right, folks. Well, you know how to reach us. You can send us an email if you've got any problems with any of this stuff. Podcast at gmail.com. Send us a tweet. We love your tweets. They don't go into the Twilight Zone. They go right to our phones. Hit us up at Pod. Of course, you can also join our Facebook group or our Discord server, which are both linked in the description of this podcast. We love talking about Disney 24-7 on Discord. Super duper fun. Until next time, everybody, you can find us in the deepest, darkest corners of the Twilight Zone. Nee 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 n